Well, go in your Bibles, if you would, over to the book of Ephesians. We'll talk to you tonight about being transformed by God's grace. Sometimes, you know, terms in the Bible, they're just thrown around so much, they kind of lose their impact and their power. But we need to understand that uh, the power of God and His grace are synonymous. They're the same thing. So I'm in Ephesians chapter 2, and I start in verse 1. As for you, turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you obviously here. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now, what he's saying here is you had a different Lord, and that Lord was not Jesus. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, if you know the Lord tonight, you are rich in grace. Amen. Rich. Say it, I'm rich, I'm rich. In, grace. in grace. You know, in this life, you can be rich in a lot of ways. But being rich in grace, the absolute most important way expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork or craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if you've been around the church, you know, any other time, and particularly if you've been raised in church, you know you've been told at some point in time that grace is God's what? Unmerited favor. It's, uh, it's unearned favor. It's unearned dis, you know, pleasure from God to you and to me that He's predisposed to show us favor uh, because that's His nature. And it just means that whatever grace is, uh, you never have earned it and you never will earn it. It's not something you can purchase. It's not something you can buy. But it's something you can receive. And everybody should receive it exactly how the Bible describes it, as a gift. Say it with me, it is a gift. In fact, we talk about the concept in the Greek of, of charis. We're talking about the giftedness of God, and it all starts with you know, His grace towards our salvation. But understand this tonight, that grace is the catalyst for all transformation and change. If there is no grace, there'll be no change. So when we're talking about the year of transformation, we shouldn't be just saying, well, I, I received the Lord, I had grace in my life, I'm done with that. No, this grace ought to be active in your life every single day. You should be applying the grace of God to everything you do and everything that flows through you and every person that you deal with. When you're grace-minded, you're mindful of how you're dealing with other people. If you accept God's grace, say, I accept His grace, then you also accept the responsibility that comes with the grace. And how you treat people is a, is a big factor in terms of whether you understand that or not. I think a, a good parallel to this is understanding that we're blessed to be a blessing, 
But if you, according to Genesis 12, accept the blessing, and how many say you will receive that, you do receive that, you also accept the responsibility. To what? To be a blessing. We get into error in terms of doctrine and teaching when we teach about the blessing, but we don't, what, point out that you're supposed to what? Take that blessing and be a blessing. You can't be stingy with the grace of God either. Anybody here been forgiven much? Anybody here was a world-class sinner? I mean, you could write books about sin. You were so good at it. So you know what it means to be forgiven. Somehow, in, in being in the church and being a part of a Christian fellowship over, over years, we somehow lose this concept that we need to be treating people the way God treated us. And trust me, they don't deserve it. Amen? Um, that's irrelevant because you and I didn't deserve the grace of God. So be careful here. Yes, that's right. I don't deserve it, but I receive it from God because I must be special. But no one else that does me wrong, I should be gracious, you know, gracious towards them uh, because the grace has run out. No, you're supposed to be rich in grace because whose grace do you have? You have His. So understand this today. It's a, it's a gift, but it's the catalyst for our transformation and our change. And it's not just uh, God's grace to us. It's God's grace through us. You want to see somebody transform their life? Uh, withhold beating, to, beating them up to a pulp and judging them, amen, and throwing them out in the trash and try giving them the grace of God. That doesn't mean you don't have accountability, but always be the person that's willing to give them what? Another shot, another opportunity. How many shots should I give them? Yeah, 70 times 7. So when you get to 70 times 7 plus 1, you can stop being full of grace, amen. You can, then you can let them have it. <laughs> No, we're talking about exhaustive grace. And since He is rich in grace, and that's the grace He's given us, we can be that way towards other people. It's the catalyst for our transformation and our change, but it's also the catalyst and transformational element for people and the power of God for other people to change. And uh, you'll see in these last days, there are going to be a lot of interesting characters walk through the doors of church. Amen. Look at somebody say, you walk through the door, so I know it's true. <laughs> Room full of characters, hallelujah. I mean, church would be boring without y'all, amen? No fun at all. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that it's available. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The gospel is often called the gospel of grace. Why? Because it's the good news of God's grace bestowed upon us that we did not earn, that God did by His own love and kindness. And according to Romans 1.16, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. Say, right. so, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel of grace, for it is the power of God. Say it with me, it's the power of God. That grace is the catalyst, it is the power. You and I didn't get where we are today because God condemned us. We're where we are today because God pardoned us. He declared not guilty. Amen. He declared, I'm not done with you. Amen. He said, I still got a plan and a purpose for your life. I have something for you to do. It's not over for you. And that's the kind of mentality we have to have. That this, um, this grace is powerful. And not just the day you got saved, but every day of your life and throughout all eternity. If God ever was a God of grace towards you, by accepting His Son, He'll always be a God of grace to you. Think about that. There are a lot of things that are perishable. 
in this world, God's love and grace are not. There are some things that will pass away on the other side. We know spiritual gifts, for example, won't be necessary, won't be needed. But guess what? It'll still be there. God the Father will still be there. God the Son will still be there. The Holy Ghost will still be there. Amen. The love of God will still be there. Grace will still be there. Amen. And I don't think we've even begun to really explore just how much God really loves His people. Amen. Say, so why is that? Because an awful lot of people, even after they're sitting under the Word for a long time, and their mind has a certain degree of being renewed, they still have a performance mentality. Where did they get that from? They didn't get it from God. You know, either misinterpreting the behavior of adults in their life, or in fact, their adults in their life, parents would ever put that kind of pressure on them, and they just transfer that view on to God, and they feel like, if I can just... Do enough for Him. If I can just be enough for Him, then finally maybe He'll accept me. It's not about what you did at all. You can't do enough to earn this. Ever. You can simply say, I can receive this though by His own good pleasure, but I can't earn this. Psalm 103.8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Say that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, Abound and in love. Paul said when he was dealing with the thorn in the flesh, which was not physical, it was specifically in the Greek, it is a messenger of, of, of Satan himself. I don't have time to get into that tonight, but understand, even then, with that assault going on, he said, What did God say to him? Jesus said, My grace is sufficient. You know it's sufficient for you, no matter what you're going through right now. Come on, say it. His grace is sufficient. Doesn't matter what I'm dealing with. You got a financial setback? His grace is sufficient. Amen? You got a wacky relative? Who doesn't? His grace is sufficient. Amen? You're dealing with a physical battle? His grace is sufficient. See, faith people aren't pretenders. Say it. I'm not a pretender. It's like Jerry Savelle said, faith doesn't pretend. It attacks. Do you see the difference? The mindset there, the position there is... No, it's not there, it's not there, it's not there, it's not there. No, it's there. That demon is there, that obstacle is there, that mountain is there, and now I'm going to attack it with my faith, with the words of my mouth, with the confidence of God, with His grace. Say it with me. Faith doesn't pretend. It attacks. But no matter what you're dealing with tonight, no matter what's going on, His grace is sufficient. That's another way of saying it's bigger, it's more powerful, it will overcome this thing. Look, if grace can overcome all the sin that's ever been committed or ever will be committed, all the sickness and disease that's ever been experienced, revealed, or ever will be, amen, all the poverty, all the lack, all the war, all the famine, all the death, all the murder, if God's grace is bigger than all that, then His grace is sufficient for you. Come on, say it boldly. His grace is sufficient for me. It doesn't matter how big the mountain is. His grace is sufficient. Say it with me. His grace is sufficient for every task, every problem, every mountain, every setback, every issue, every disappointment, every hurt, everything. His grace is sufficient. See, if we're not careful, we'll take grace and put it in the, well, I got saved by grace box, and that's the end of it. No, that's not the end of it. That's just the start of it. It's the power of God unto salvation, soteria, 
wholeness, soundness in every area of life. If we just say, okay, I'm saved now, so the grace is done. I don't know about you, but I needed grace after I was saved. I need grace tonight. Amen. You know, you know what preaching and teaching is without the grace of God? Nothing. There's no anointing. There's no power there. There's no ability to strike the heart with the reality of redemption unless God's grace is there. His grace is operating in us all the time. Sometimes we just don't recognize it. Sometimes God's grace comes in the form of people that He puts in our path. And some of those people bless us by coming. And sometimes the grace of God is revealed by them believing. Amen. And you know what? Wherever you are, whatever's happened in your life, that does not reflect on whether God loves you or not and so has grace for you. Live today in His grace. Nothing you can do about what happened yesterday. Amen? And you really don't have all that much power to deal with coming down the pike tomorrow and six weeks from now or a year from now. You are not all-knowing. Look at somebody and say, you're not all-knowing. Get over your God complex. What you can do is trust Him for the grace for this day. You get up tomorrow, you trust Him for the grace tomorrow. Amen? His unmerited favor on your life. You know what? You should look in the mirror every day and say, you know what? I'm God's favorite. Amen. Amen. His grace is sufficient today. Don't get behind the eight ball. Get in front of the issues that may come up in your life. Start by by confessing. I don't care what goes on today. His grace is sufficient. Devil, if you pick a fight with God's grace, you're going to lose. Amen. And you know he's never lost. I'm really interested to see uh, what Mel Gibson does with the resurrection narrative in his movie because I understand he's going to actually try to actually demonstrate and illustrate what happened after he died and the supernatural war that took place. And now we have the technology now to do this. It's going to be interesting. I do know this. Whatever happened, Jesus won. (laughs) He, He comes out victorious. But, you know, we read in Scripture and we believe it, but actually visualizing these things. Amen. And you should pray for people that are actually trying to be truthful and honest with what the Scripture actually teaches. Amen. Say it with me. His grace is sufficient for me no matter what's going on, no matter what happens. His grace is sufficient. Well, I think about, you know, tonight and dealing with this topic, um, I think about people who are defeated in the body of Christ, and maybe you're here tonight and you've dealt with this, and they're defeated because they just keep thinking they're not enough. I'm not enough for God. Or even worse than that, I just don't do enough for God. So I really, uh, I'm not in a good place, and i got to somehow show that I'm, I'm pleasing to Him. And God doesn't want you being defeated because obviously you are enough. Does He love you? Is he for you? Yes. Say it with me. He's for me. He's, for me. He's not against me. He's not against but a lot of people live, well, I'm just not enough. You know, I don't do enough. I don't have enough. I'm second class. No, that's not the case at all. Uh, there are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. Amen. You're all first generation. He's got a big family. Amen. And he wants an even bigger family. Some people are bred with a performance mentality. And they think, well, you know, uh, i got to perform so I can be saved. i got to perform so I can have God's favor. i got to perform so I can have God's best. No, what happens is we get saved and then we perform. That's right. 
Our performance, our execution, our ministry, our service is a reflection of the grace of God that we received when we got saved. You can never do enough to get saved. And we know that. We should have that as Western Christians deep in our spirit. But you'd be amazed from my perspective as a pastor how many people live daily thinking if I could just please God then I could have that breakthrough. If I could just do enough. No, you got the thing flipped upside down. Celebrate your salvation. And the irony is that people that get saved and understand by receiving the grace of God, they outperform what they would have done trying to perform to get God's favor in the first place. You get the grace first. Amen. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, the grace or the performance? The grace. Your performance will never measure up to what's necessary to receive His grace. It is a gift and it's a gift to us, but the price was high. Amen. Don't let the devil put you back into a performance mode that you learned trying to please daddy and grandma and whoever else. Your job is just to please the Lord. But the funny thing about pleasing the Lord, what pleases the Lord is not your performance. What pleases Him is your faith. Do you believe that today? Yes. He that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's what? A rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Nowhere in the Bible does it say your performance pleases Him. You didn't learn that from God. You didn't get that from the Word. You got it from what? Family and the world and perception. But He's pleased with your believing. Come on, said He's pleased when I believe. The irony is that when we truly come to accept His grace, we end up performing at a much higher level than we would ever try trying to earn His grace by our performance. Amen. One of the Bible stories that illustrates this so powerfully is found, uh, I want you to go to, I think, this version of it, in Luke chapter 23, if you would. And there's uh, three men on a cross. And two of those men are what? They're thieves, they're criminals. and They must have done more than just steal a few things to end up on a cross. And then there's the Son of God who didn't do anything wrong. Right. I want you to listen to this narrative and let the Lord minister to you. Because this one individual who responds to the grace of God blows every denominational theology all out of the water. Without exception. It blows away man-made doctrine. And it basically brings things down to the singular point of God's unmerited favor as a gift and you receiving it or not. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling insults at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You know, probably not the best course of action when you're about to die. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that have been famous in this life, their last words were not words of faith. And he quoted Marilyn Monroe saying, you know, she didn't need Jesus. They found her dead the next day. You know, this kind of mentality that, that you know, I'll do it my own and I'll, I'll have it my way. Well, you, you can up to a certain limit, but realize your life is just a speck compared to the sea and the ocean of eternity. You got to make sure you got things understood in your heart. No matter how great your life is on this planet, 
You want to make sure you respond and be in a position at that day, at that time, when you depart from this life. So he's railing on Jesus, save yourself and us. In other words, he's really mocking him. If you were really the Christ, this wouldn't be happening to you. And you would have the power, of course, to, to take us down as well. And he could have taken them down. But if you came off that cross, there would be no grace. There would be no life change for you and for me. There would be no hope for us. We'd still be in our sins. If you still think that the nails held him there, you're deceived. It's the love of God that held him there. The other responded and rebuking him. Say rebuking. Rebuking is strong correction. It, it means to strongly and, and ferociously, you know, basically forbid something. What a, what a picture here. One railing on Jesus and the other one rebuking the criminal who is railing on the Lord. Say it with me. He rebuked him. And he said, do you not fear God? Now, there's a first little inkling as to what this man perceived Jesus to be. You're mocking God. Do you not fear, do you not even fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes? Look at somebody and say, everybody deserves to die. But this man has done what? Nothing wrong. Amazing, isn't it? And he was saying, and the Greek does imply here that he said this, but it, it may have been mumbled more than once. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Powerful words here. He is calling him by Jesus. We know that that's the name above Every name. You know, according to Acts 4.12, that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The kingdom has to have a king. Who is he implying here that is king? Jesus is. He is more than stating this boldly in front of God, in front of the other criminal, in front of the Jews, in front of the Romans, that I'm standing up here and I'm starting to get a clue that he sits on the throne of David. Yes. There's a lot of powerful things involved in this very, very short narrative. And he said to him, truly I say to you, when Jesus kicks in the trulies and the verilies, <laughs> he's about to say something you need to pay attention to. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Yes. Amen. And just imagine the angels in heaven when this first convert walks through the door. Does the Bible not say that the angels of God rejoice over one? And they're all waiting to see who that's going to be. And it could have been neither of these guys. But who's that walking in here with the Lord? Amen. Could you imagine? And you know what? He's still there. Wouldn't he be an interesting fellow to talk to when you get there? Amen. Say, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. there are all kinds of wonderful people that God has saved through the seasons, you know, in, in biblical times and, and, and pre, you know, time, you know, before Jesus' birth and ministry and then contemporary people through history. Uh, you'll want to be there. Yeah. Amen. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Robert Schuler, I believe it was his granddaughter, was in a very serious accident. 
And um, the whole family was supposed to be sitting down at a dinner one night in Orange County with uh, John Wayne and a few other people from the, the entertainment industry. And she couldn't come. And I, I want to say she was 12 to 13 years old. And she wrote a letter and she asked one, a person who was attending that dinner to give it to Mr. Wayne. She's very respectful. Mr. Wayne, a letter to Mr. Wayne. And so they did that. And they just kind of expected that he would just put it in his coat pocket and read it some other time. But that's not what happened. He opened that thing up at the dinner table and that note said, Mr. Wayne, please give your heart to Jesus Christ. Heaven won't be heaven without John Wayne. And right there at the table, tears running down his face. They, people that were there said they know that he was right with God when he left this earth finally uh, with, with uh, I think it was stomach cancer that took him out. What you and I don't know is, do you know the books he was studying when he, when he died? He was voraciously reading Kenneth Hagin's principles of faith and concerning spiritual gifts and the authority of the believer. I mean, come on now, John Wayne needs to know about the authority of the believer, bless God. <laughs> Amen. Isn't that powerful and wonderful? Um, does God do last minute? Yes. He's, he's, he's powerful and He can save. But I want you to understand this, that, um, you know, there are a lot of people there that, that He has redeemed and a lot of people yet to, to fill heaven up with. How many of make sure that lots of people are represented from our part of the country? From our, our generation, not just our part of the country. Praise God. You know what? Because heaven won't be heaven without them. Heaven was made for them. He's preparing a place for them. He wants them there. So I want you to think about this in, in terms of what really, really matters in this life. And uh, you know, all the things that a Christian can do, can believe, can get involved in, there's nothing more important than what they do with Jesus. That's it. Why did that man get into heaven that day? Because of what he did with Jesus. So write these principles down. Number one, it's never too late to accept the grace. Hallelujah. As long as you're still breathing. Amen. It's never too late. The man on the cross tells us that, uh, boy, he was cutting it close. I don't recommend you cut it that close. But, you know, you and I never really know what's going on with somebody's last moments. And uh, we have built all kinds of religious little standards and icons that tell people how they got to do this and how they got to do that. But you know what? Uh, you think about this man, and uh, it's a little bit unique, isn't it? I'm glad tonight you're saved. Amen. You're assuming I'm saved. You're an American coming to church on Wednesday night. You're saved. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, other services and opportunities, maybe not, but uh, if you are uh, walking with God and you love Him, uh, this, is, this is where you need to be. Amen? Amen? Say, I am saved. I am saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I have accepted the grace of God. And the grace of God is completely and totally focused and embodied in Jesus. Not Jesus and Buddha, Jesus. Not Jesus and Muhammad, Jesus. Not Jesus and Hare Krishna, Jesus. Not Jesus and another prophet. Jesus. You know, Keith Green was battling, uh, you know, coming to some terms in his own life years ago. He's part of that great Jesus movement out there in California. And uh, he had plenty of opportunities to go secular and do that, but uh, the Lord kind of had other plans for him. And uh, 
one of the things that led him to a saving faith is he noticed that uh, all these other religions talked about Jesus. And how many understand he's a real historical figure, even if somebody doesn't believe he's the Son of God? It's irrefutable. And all these other world religions, you, you talk about what the Buddhists would say, and, and they would call him, him an enlightened one, you know, and, and point to him in a positive way. They wouldn't call him the Son of God. Um, Muhammad's and Islam would call him a prophet. The Jews would call him a, a, a good teacher. You go right down the line, he said, I go through every world religion, and every one of them have some kind of a task acknowledging that Jesus is. But guess what Christianity doesn't do? It does not acknowledge Muhammad. It does not acknowledge Buddha. It does not acknowledge. It only acknowledges what? Jesus. One person. And so all this mentioning of Jesus, Jesus is this and that religion, he's this and that religion, he said, well, I need to find out about this Jesus. And that led him to a saving knowledge. It's, it, listen, the grace of God is not embodied in 15 world religions. It's embodied in one person. That's right. That's it's not complex. No. I mean, God is not author of confusion. No, he he's made it simple. One name. Under heaven, given among men, by which you what? Must be saved. So if you don't embrace the grace of God embodied in that person, in that name, then you cannot be saved. And the church in modern days should not choke over that. Apologize for that. We didn't make it up. It's not a man-made doctrine. It's an absolute of God. Do you all still believe there are absolutes in life? That something is right or something is wrong? We're living in confusing times. And now all roads lead to heaven, and God is such a God of love. He would never send somebody to hell. Well, you know what? You're right. He doesn't send them to hell. They choose to go to hell. If you don't get into the ark of safety, that's not God's fault. If you don't leave before the fire and brimstone begins to fall, that's not God's fault. If you don't leave, if you turn back like Lot's wife did, and you turn into a pillar of salt, that's not God's fault. If you don't get in the ark of safety, the name, the one person that embodies the grace of God, there's just no other boat coming. Turn somebody and tell them, there's no other boat coming. That's it. You know, I get tickled when I see these people, they're on cruises, you know, and uh, they, get, they get back to the boat late. And uh, sometimes they manage to jump on just as the boat's pulling away or something like that before they pull away the gangplank, you know. But a lot of them don't, and they miss it. And all the people are sitting over the rails just laughing at them because they didn't get back on time. You know what a horrible thing that would be, especially if you left your passport on the boat <laughs> and, you're, and you're in a foreign land. But you know what? Uh, there's a remedy for that. They can fix that. But you miss this boat. There is no remedy. You say, well, God should have done more, should have done more than send his own son to die for you and for me that never did anything wrong. That's pretty insulting when you think about it. Amen. And there are people like Bill Maher that say, you know, uh, who, who says he's politically incorrect, but he's politically correct. Um, G- Jesus was not a historical figure. I'm like, you're supposed to be intelligent people. Even the enemies of Christ believed and taught and knew he was a a historical figure. He lived and died. What you believe about him determines whether you are what? Heaven bound or not. Say it. It's never too late late. to accept his grace as long as you're still breathing. Amen. Do you know that some of the most wicked people are still breathing because of that very reason? Anybody ever know somebody that died young? You thought they were a wonderful person, trying to figure out how that evil, wicked person lives down the road is still alive? 
Some of you are relating to some of those people. You know why they're still alive. For every possibility to get saved. That's how merciful your God actually is. Amen? Don't just pray for long life for yourself. Pray for that wicked relative. They'll have long life. Long enough so they can actually turn to the one who can save them. Number two, there is no formula of words, no codified formula for getting saved. There is no place you'll find a sinner's prayer in this story. Because guess what? He didn't pray the sinner's prayer. The question is, though, did he in fact line up what the Bible teaches about the operation of salvation? Think about it. Stan Toller, a Nazarene preacher, years ago came up with this very simple concept in witnessing. He called it the ABCs of salvation. You know what the A, a, a is for? Admit you have sinned. Did he not admit in the presence of God himself that he had sinned? We deserve what's coming to us for what we have done. And in fact, he did. The B stands for believe. Do you see connotations here that he's actually believing beyond himself? Believing that Jesus is God, believing that he is Messiah? Certainly. And the question is, C stands for confess. It lines up, of course, with Romans 10, 9, and 10. Does he confess? Maybe not in our particular flow or our particular tradition. Does he say it exactly like maybe we would say it? But does he confess? Is there a public confession of this man that I am with the man on the cross here that never did anything wrong? Yes, think about this. Uh, he, he, there's a lot of things he didn't do, and we'll talk about that. But he confesses, and the thief is there, and Jesus is there, and the centurion's there, and the Jews are there. He's confessing. And this entire crowd hears him ask that he would be admitted to his kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today. Jesus is like, he admitted his sin. He's believing on me. He has confessed his faith. He's with me. Yes. Where did all the other tacons come from? Religion. Are you here today? Say, there's no formula, but it's faith. Does that make sense? So you can hear somebody on, you know, use, you know, spew tube or, or fake book or whatever it is telling you that nobody's doing it right. They're not getting saved. They're not really, you have no authority to say somebody's not saved. That's right. Zero, none. So button up buttercup. Amen. Amen. You don't have that authority. You don't know their heart. It's because they don't meet your denominational doctrine or religious little box to how to get saved. We may lead somebody in a certain way of prayer or a certain methodology, but it's not the methodology that saves. Do you see this today? So we're not in any position. Well, they're not saved by this God. Well, they don't do this. They don't do that. It's not about what you think they should be doing. It's what they did with Jesus. Come on, shout that out. What did they do with Jesus? And you don't always know what they did with Jesus. You're looking at their imperfections. You're looking at their associations. You're looking at things that, that basically the Bible talks about this. You're judging after the appearance. God judges what? The heart. The heart. And apparently this thief meant what he was saying and believing. If Jesus said he was going to be in paradise with him that day, how many know he's going to be in paradise with him that day? Do you know what? You have that same promise. Disciples were mournful, and Jesus told them, 
you know what? Um, this is going to happen. This is the way it's going to be. He tried to encourage them. And he said, I'm going, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know that you're all part of that you? Yes. He's preparing a place for you. Yes, it's the same thing as saying to that thief, you'll be with me today in paradise. Well, you'll, you'll, you'll punch that ticket one day. Mm-hmm. Amen. I'm hoping y'all go by a rapture. Amen. Won't that be wonderful? How about I go by rapture in the middle of a Sunday morning service? Wouldn't that be fun? Amen. And if you walk out of church that day, oh, we told you. Told you so. <laughs> but could you imagine going from worshiping the Lord in a worship service here and then joining one there? Amen. So the same promises for you and for anyone else. Number three, it's not about what you did. Positive or negative has nothing to do with it. When I was uh, 17, I was one of those you know, individuals in school and had summer birthday. And so I wasn't even going to be 18 until July of that year. I got born again in Spirit-filled three days before my high school graduation. Uh, and let's just put it to you this way. I wasn't always an angel in high school. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I wasn't perfect. I became an angel after I got married because Kelly said so. I'm an angel now. So, uh, But, uh, you know, and if you, you have Christians in your school or you have other people that were friends of yours, they know what you did, what you were, what you were involved in. They know you were not an example of the Christian, you know, in the school. We had examples like that. I mean, we had, we had some bold people. We, we had this one girl, she'd sit there where the buses came into school every single day with tracks in her hand, bold as a lion, didn't care what people thought about her. I only know, you know, in the things of God, the impact she had on people because of what she did. That was not me. And maybe it wasn't you as well. So when I got to Murray State, I had one person I knew from Carbondale, and uh, she was rooming with another girl. And um, we all, you know, got over to Winslow. We used to call it Winslop. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're sitting there, and now I'm born again to say, but the person that knew me, right, doesn't know me. I mean, you know, you can change a lot in six months. Yes. Have you been there? Yeah. yeah. So I'm sitting there, and uh, my sister had given me a, a dove on, on like a little neck choker. Uh, when I was 18, my neck was a certain size. It won't fit anymore. So that little dove hangs from my rearview mirror, and it's, it's been on every car, you know, that I've had since I became a believer. And it's just, it just hangs there. And uh, she saw that around my neck, this girl did, after hearing everything I was involved in. And she went back to her friend and said, I wonder if he knows what that means, <laughs> this horrible, vicious judgmentalism. And the point is, she didn't know me from Adam. The person she thought she knew was dead, was gone. Does that make sense? And that's why you've got to be careful. The person you're writing off, got right now, God could be doing a supernatural work in their life. Listen, I got saved. Amen. Say it with me. Saved, saved. Sanctified, sanctified. Baptized in the Holy Ghost. The first month I was saved with that little thing around my neck, I led 12 people to the baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. and didn't know hardly anything to tell them. But what I had, like the lepers, I was sharing it. It wasn't long I began to sense the call of God. Listen, I was changing dramatically. And all they could see was what I was in the past. 
I wasn't the biggest heretic and I wasn't the biggest partner, but I was no angel. And you got to be careful with this kind of thing. Because what we think people should be, what God thinks they should be, are not always the same thing. And it's not about what He did or didn't do. 2 Timothy 1.9, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. Shout that out. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. In other words, this was not an afterthought of God. Do you realize He had always intended to give you this grace? You've been on His mind a long time. Amen. Glory to God. He knew that some of y'all were going to be world-class sinners. Amen. I mean, His love's bigger than that. And in the body of Christ, it doesn't make any difference what you think about yourself in terms of the depth of your sin. Everybody here is saved by what? Saved by grace. Think about this for a minute. The thief never took communion. <gasps> never went to church. Was not baptized in water. How freaky would it have been if Jesus said, wait a minute, uh, let's come down the cross for a minute. <laughs> We're going to baptize this character because, because if we don't get him baptized, then certain denominations won't think he's saved. Another denomination will say, well, he can't be a member of our church if he's not baptized in our church. And Jesus is like, well, he can be a member of my church. He did not suspend the crucifixion to get this man baptized. Contrary to popular Jesus is not a legalist. He's a gracist. Should you be baptized? Not to get saved, but because you are saved. I got a call to go to the VA hospital in Nashville one time, and a person had said, hey, you know, they, they've given their life to Christ, and they want to be baptized, what can you do? I became a Lutheran again that day. I was not going to rip out all their tubes, you know, roll them down to the pond, and then roll them back up again. So what did I do? Does that change my doctrine any? No. No. But this person wanted to be what? Publicly identified with Christ. And we were able to honor that in the middle of an intensive care unit days before their death. Come on, say, Jesus, Jesus. is not a legalist. He's a gracist. You know, you and I would do well to look through that paradigm, through that lens with dealing with people. Say it with me, I'm a, I'm a gracist. Well, I don't know about that hyper-grace stuff. We're not talking about living as you want to and violating God's Word. That's not what this means. In fact, grace gives you power to live right. We're talking about the power to actually change you. Is that grace? Amen. He was never baptized in the Holy Ghost. <gasps> never spoke in tongues. Never operated in the gifts of the Spirit. Never cast out a devil, never raised the dead, never prayed for the sick. He never witnessed to the lost, except for the one that was on the cross. It's pretty good, isn't it? Amen. Never served on the mission field or in a ministry, no ministry team, no committee. He never gave a dime in the offering. That's unacceptable. This guy is like, yeah, this is the best version of a Christian, isn't he? Never sang a song of praise, never had a prayer time, never had a Bible study. 
By every modern benchmark of what a Christian is, he does not measure up. But he does measure up to one thing. What do you do with Jesus? Are all these things good? Sure they are. But these things don't save you. Amen. Number three, it's not about what you did. It's what Jesus did. Number four, a moment of grace wipes out a lifetime of sin. Aren't you glad for that? And some of y'all got to Jesus earlier than others, but how many of y'all took your little time? <laughs> Amen. How many of y'all been saved since you were young, little? How many got saved later in life? How many still need to get saved? Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Yeah. Settle down. <laughs> well, whenever that was, that blood wiped out everything you did or ever will do. I want you to meditate on that. Everything, everything you ever did or everything you ever will do. A moment of grace wiped out a lifetime of sin. Come on, say it. A moment of God's grace wiped out a lifetime of sin. In fact, it's wiped out centuries of sin. Amen? Millennium of sin. Glory to God. That's how powerful it is. Do you think the grace of God can handle whatever you're dealing with? Amen? What else can it wipe out? It can wipe out anything that comes against you as a child of God. Say, I'm a covenant believer. And number five, he embodies this truth very powerfully. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And my exhortation to you today is no matter what's being thrown at you, you keep going. Say it, I'm not a quitter. Come on, say it boldly. I am not a quitter. I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. So this guy didn't do much for God. Didn't serve the church. Wasn't a deacon. Wasn't a pastor, preacher, missionary, or apostle. But what's the takeaway from this? Well, the question is, if you're, if you're listening tonight, you're wondering, okay, then what does God want from me? If this is really true, that's what you do with Jesus, what does he want from me? Well, it's found in uh, John 6, 29. I'm going to read it to you from uh, four different translations. And you're going to get it tonight. Come on, confess it boldly. I'm getting this. this. Say it, I'm getting it. In Jesus' name. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. What's the work of God? To believe. Listen to this from the Amplified. Jesus answered, This is the work of God that you believe, adhere to, trust in, rely on, and have faith in the one whom he has sent. What is the work? To believe. The duty is to believe. Listen to how powerfully the NLT puts it. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. <coughs> believe in the one he has sent. It's what you do with Jesus. And then from the uh, Good News Translation, Jesus answered, what God wants you to do is to believe in the one he sent. Say, that's what God wants me to do. 
say, well, what about all this stuff, you know, that doctrines and churches and affiliations add on to that? If it doesn't contradict the Word of God, it's perfectly fine. These things should be taught. These things are, are expected based on the Word of God. But these are not the things that, re that release the grace of God in your life like you believing does. Say, I'm a believer. So now it's starting to register with some of you why this church emphasizes faith so much. Because it's impossible to please God without it. It's the one thing in Scripture we're told that we're supposed to be doing. And guess what? That's the one thing the thief did on the cross. And that's why he's with the Lord today. And he's not asleep in the ground, absent from the body, present with the Lord. This idea of soul sleep, you're in the tomb and you're asleep until he raises you. No, that's not biblical. If you think about the story of Abraham, amen, Lazarus and the rich man, were they not alive? Yes. Was there not discernment of who Abraham was? Yes. yes. They did not have a glorified body, and this, this thief does not have a glorified body, but how many you know he's going to be pretty much first in line? <laughs> <laughs> he's going to have one. What's the duty? What's your duty? To believe. And can you affect the quality of your believing? Yeah, you can. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's why we emphasize God's presence in His Word and being involved in church because what you're going to hear tonight is things that are going to build and strengthen your faith. But don't become some legalist. Amen? Be a gracist. Say, I'm a gracist. And I'm a biblicist. Amen? Because, you know, when we all get to heaven, I don't know how long it's going to be, but one of the first things we're going to get after we get our ID badge <laughs> is remedial training. <laughs> and depending on how developed we are, amen, we're going to find out that uh, everybody in this room is probably due for some correction. Amen? Amen. He's the Father, and He'll do the correcting. So how many are you glad that uh, you've accepted that grace? How many are glad you're a believer? Say, so I'm a believer. That's the duty, is to believe on the one He sent. Now listen, it sounds simple, but in God's eyes, that's powerful. That you dared to believe in the one He sent. Out of all the millions of things you could believe in this world, you dared to believe that He sent His Son to die for you and for me. To us, we are Christians, we're kind of religious about it. Oh yeah, I believe on Jesus. To God, it's a big deal. That's why there's a celebration in heaven every time somebody turns to the Lord. Yes. Amen. That's why there should be a celebration in any church at any time where somebody gives their heart to the Lord. It's a big deal. Come on, shout out. It's a big deal. Big Come on, say it again. It's a big deal. It's, big it's the deal. one thing He said to do. So if people do it, listen, it, it's the grace that begins to transform their lives and it affects not only their life on this planet, but for all eternity. Nothing else in this world except faith in Christ adjusts the eternal destination of a human being. Nothing. Raise your hand and say, it's a big deal. And if it's a big deal, then we should care about other people going too. And when you approach people that don't know the Lord or people that are struggling, emphasize it's what you do with Jesus. Yeah, but those Baptists. Yeah, but those Pentecostals. Yeah, but those Catholics. Yeah, but you know what Brother Trump did. Blah, 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 blah. No, it's about what you do 
with Jesus. Don't you let a denomination or a politician or whoever, whatever, affect you. Because guess what? When you stand before God, it's going to be about what you did with Jesus. And you know, when you put your faith in him, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. And you're there. You're part of the family forever. Why? Because of what you did with him. Don't complicate this whole witness thing. All you have to do is say, you know what? I was confused. I was lost and undone without God. And I did what the Bible said here in that scripture in John. Amen. I believed on the one he sent. And I'm encouraging you to believe on the one he sent. All this other stuff doesn't matter. It'll sort itself out. That's why I get so put out with and, and all the things going on to criticize one another and down one another and attack different ministries and all these, you know, self-proclaimed heretic hunters in the church, what they should be doing is telling people to believe on the one that he sent. Yes. Could you imagine if all of them started doing that? We could probably wrap this thing up by the end of October. But you don't teach this right. You don't do this right. That's not of God. This isn't of God. You're doing this wrong. I can't believe that person over here. Let's show a clip of T.D. Jakes. Let's show a clip of Joel Osteen. Let's make fun of them. Let's talk about them. Let's tell how they're all wrong. What matters is what you do with Jesus. A little more focus is good in any church. Amen. Amen. How about we have a little more focus in our church? It's what people do with Jesus. That's the lesson from the thief on the cross. And it's a pretty good one, isn't it? Amen. Say it with me. This is my job. My duty is to believe on the one that God sent. Amen. Glory to God. Uh, a lot of people would respond to him if it wasn't wrapped in legalism and religion. Amen. Glory to God. I know a lot of people that have gotten saved late in life. I had a gentleman over in uh, Hopkinsville. He was knocking on 80 when he was lost as a goose. And somebody told him about the Lord, told him about church. He came. And uh, lo and behold, he got saved. And uh, then he got baptized in the Holy Ghost. I mean, you haven't seen something to celebrate until you see somebody almost 80 years old get baptized in the Holy Ghost. And then a, a four-pack-a-day smoker just put him down. Holy Ghost separated him from that. No problem was living that way all his life. Eventually, you know, you know, took him out. But when he died, where'd he go? Amen. It's never too late. Amen. And you hear people come and say, well, you know, the older somebody gets, the more difficult it is to get him saved. You want to know why? Because the focus on everything but what you're doing with Jesus. We talk to the elderly in the same way. We're talking to a five-year-old. It's about what you do with Jesus. I think we see far more fruit from that. Instead so of coming at them with our doctrine, our church, amen, our legalism. What do you do with Jesus? That's what matters. Amen. And how many know this is simple enough that any of us in here can preach this powerfully to anybody we meet? Say it with me. It's what you do with Jesus. Hey, I'm going to heaven. Would you like to go to heaven someday? Yeah. How did I get there? It's what you do with Jesus. But don't I have to do this and 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 this? No, it's what you do with the Lord. Amen. So I think we'll be staying on the message of faith, if you don't mind. Good. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If uh, the Bible says this is the duty, this is our job, this is what we're supposed to be doing, then it seems to me that whatever we can do to strengthen that is a pretty good course of action. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Glory to God. Because the just shall. Once you got saved by faith, amen, through His grace, you now, the just shall live that way. Amen. How many glad you're saved? How many glad you're going to heaven one day? How many know He's building something up there for you? I understand He's a great architect. And we know He knows woodworking. No, I just want a little old shack down by the river. Sorry. Won't be no shacks there. Oh, just give me a double wide over there by the wrong side of the track. No, sorry, not there. Nothing wrong with it. Amen. You know, when we first came here in 1995, uh, in the middle of a semester, there was a housing shortage for students, and there was nothing available. So you know what we did? We bought a mobile home from Hopkinsville and moved it over here. <laughs> Amen. Have house, we'll travel, glory to God. I hear what I'm saying to you. But in heaven, with golden streets, amen, and pearly gates, and beautifully adorned gates, amen, the city that just shines and lights up with the very light of God. You don't feel sorry for somebody that's left you. Amen. And the truth of the matter is you're not feeling sorry for somebody that's left you. You're feeling sorry for yourself because somebody left uh, man, they're up there spiking the ball. <laughs> they're, they're having a good time. <laughs> and uh, I think if, you know, they would say something, they would say, en- enjoy your life. Look at somebody and say, relax. relax. And, start and start enjoying your salvation. salvation. It's supposed to be enjoyed. The joy of the Lord is your strength. strength. Say it with me. Relax, relax. and enjoy, and enjoy your salvation. Well, we shouldn't seek their voice, and we're not getting their voice, but we do have the voice of the prophets, and we have the voice of the Apostle Paul through the Word of God that tells us we do not what? Sorrow like them that have no, no hope. That's right. That's right. Amen. Glory to God. Just think of it this way. When you cross that threshold, you're going to have a bunch of tour guides over there. Wait for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Depending on how long they've been, they're going to have a lot of knowledge about how this place works. That's right. Oh, I don't know about that. We're just supposed to go on a cloud and float around like an angel. No, no, no. It's, it's a city. It's a government. It's a kingdom. It's a function. Amen. Glory to God. And you're going. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We don't celebrate this enough, I'm telling you. Right. A new birth is a miracle of God's grace. Yes. And it should be celebrated. Yes. Now, that said, you and I should live out our days. Say it with me. Length of days. Length of days. And strength of days. Because once you're gone, you can't tell anybody else it's what you do with Jesus. It's over. Amen. The end. Ship your saddle home. Amen. At least you're going to the right one. So live out your days by the same grace of God. Amen. Say it one more time. I am not a legalist. I'm a gracist. Amen. And I'm a gracist because I'm a biblicist. Glory to God. Give my praise offering tonight. Thank you for your salvation. Thank Him that you're saved. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord God.